Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that anyone and everyone is welcome to enjoy, but it may not be enjoyed by anyone and everyone, so listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. I'm Kayla. And I'm Kristen. And welcome to Black True Crime. Mm, If this is mm, your first mm. time here at the show, welcome, you fine-ass motherfucker. And hello. Give me a high sigh. Bet you haven't heard that in a minute. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening to the show today. We are super excited to be back. We've missed you guys. And this is Kristen's second time being back since she went MIA for like, what, two weeks? So this is love. Anyway, as you can see, <laughs> we if you can see, we've yeah. changed a couple of things. Our backgrounds are giving, okay? <laughs> it is the Christmas season. We thought we should spruce it up with a little bit of light action. Mm-hmm. Kayla has tapings in, period. Kristen, get out of my business. You just they don't me. need to know everything, but my hair is giving. <laughs> and it's mostly mine, and that's that on it love it here for natural (laughs) hair yes okay so Kristen, today's case is actually a case that i covered when you were on the show Mm -hmm. and it's one of those cases that not i don't feel like many people know about unless you lived in that area and it happened a while ago so we're just gonna get into it okay period oh and before we get started we're going on tour next year like what like, we're in there, like, slimwear, so get your tickets and be there. Yes. We're really excited about the tour, you guys. We're going to really make sure it's something y'all never forget. So go mm-hmm. ahead and head to blacktrucrime.com and get your tickets before we stop selling them because we're going to stop selling them, I think, within, like, the next month or two. We'll see how I'm feeling. Y'all, and she's not playing. Like, she's really going to stop selling them tickets. So get the tickets. <laughs> I want it to be intimate enough that like we're all it's a vibe, you know, it's our first show and I want everybody to feel like, damn, I got time with them, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, get your time. Like, dang, this is an actual fam, like BTC fam all day, every day. Um, Okay, cool. So, Kristen, are you ready now? I'm here. I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. It was a normal Friday night in Kilgore, Texas, and the local high school was having a football game that basically the entire town showed up to. Looking forward to a fun-filled evening, no one could have imagined what horrifying events would take place over the next 24 hours. So join us as we discuss the horrible events of September 23rd, 1983, also known as the KFC murders. Uh Uh-oh. So Joey Johnson was working as a cook... Mary was the assistant manager who came in just to close up for that night. And Opie was a lovely religious mother of three. Opie! Kristen, don't take me there. Kayla! Don't take me there. If you've seen, what is it? Sons of Anarchy, please. Sons of Anarchy, Ope! We love you. We love Ope. Okay, so we love this Opie too. Adorable. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. Around 1030, Kim, who was Mary's daughter, came looking for her mother. Her car was still there and it was dark inside and the keys were in the door. So feeling something was automatically off, she walked inside and the first thing she saw was blood. Mm-mm. Yes. In KFC? Yes, girl. She thought maybe someone had cut themselves while cutting chicken or something. And then she called her dad and then they called the police. Mm-hmm. So experienced detective Danny Pertell and Rust County investigator William Brown came onto the scene and immediately felt like something bad had happened. So they hadn't even really gone in to search for people or any more signs, but off the rip, just a gut feeling told them something was not, not it. Mm-hmm. Cash receipts showed about $2,000 also was gone. And it was lo- looking more like a robbery gone bad every moment. Mm-hmm. So the so the police dispatched into the area looking for the three missing KFC workers because they know that people were supposed to be there working at the time, but they were nowhere to be found. How eerie is that? You I pull know. up, hop out, nobody's there, blood is on the floor, money is missing. Yes. The blood Ew. thing is what really hits you. It's like the, you don't see them, but you see that obviously someone has been injured in some way and your mind goes to the worst place. Like who has time to move three bodies? Somebody, Kristen, and we're going to get to it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. So the detective got a call to come back to the scene to speak with Lena Maxwell. And Lena Maxwell was the wife of a man named David Maxwell who hadn't come home that night. He was supposed to be going to the KFC to pick up Joey, who was also a fraternity brother of his. Okay. So they now started to fear that there was a fourth victim out there somewhere. Joey! David. David. Monty Landers was a freshman at Kilgore College, and he had just pledged the same fraternity as Joey and David. And the three of them were planning to go out and do, like, you know, frat boy stuff that night after Joey got off work. And he was also reported missing. Dang! So now this is five missing people. Okay, so I feel like I have a gut feeling the killer is mixed up in the five. Oof. You think so? I don't know, Kayla. Oh, but this is just too much. It's a lot right off the bat. So after searching all night, police got a call that 14.2 miles out of town, the bodies of the five victims were found by an oil field worker on a brush covered oil field off of Walker King Road in Rusk County. They were all dead. Yes, sister. And this is where they were found. So imagine that place at night. It was probably just very eerie and scary as hell because what we're about to talk about is just horrible. My God. Yeah. So oil worker Arthur Warlick was the one that found the bodies. And when he first got to the scene around 9 a.m., he was like, you know, what the fuck? Someone left like a huge trash pile out here. Mm -hmm. And he was actually annoyed by it. But as he got closer, he realized, you know, it wasn't trash at all and it was actually people this is disgusting just sick like he just piled them up on top of each other like trash 
Oh, yeah. This is a definition of disposing of bodies. Wow. So the oil worker assumed some kids just broke in and fell asleep. He thought these people were asleep and even like yelled to them and said, hey, you kids, wake up. Mm -hmm. You need to go home. And he even thought they were doing like some freaky sex stuff. Like maybe they came out here for an orgy or something like that. Which is fair, right? You want to think of anything under the moon and the stars before you think of what really Death, right. Right. But as he got closer, he noticed how quiet it was and that they weren't moving at all. So once he realized what was up, he started basically throwing up and took off back to his truck. So they were all found in a line on their stomachs and gunshot wounds. Two of them were found with their arms under their foreheads as if they were like told to lay down on -hmm. their forearms and then they were shot type of thing. Two others were found seeming like they were trying to get up after hearing the other two being shot. But then they were also wounded and shot in the back. Oh my goodness, Kayla. This is a murder scene. So they were shot there. They were taken from KFC and shot there. Correct. They were transported, which is crazy because that's five people you have to control. You have to make sure they don't try to escape. I mean, it was, this is hard. You know, it's not an easy thing to do. And they're, they're boys. Like they could overpower this person with the gun. Mm -hmm. So Opie Hughes, however, was found 120 feet away from the others back toward the entrance gate. She was found with a handful of her own hair in one hand and the other one was full of grass. Oh, so that kind of makes me feel like she was, you know, just panicked or like freaking out so bad or maybe she was already shot and Mm -hmm. that's, she was pulling at herself to just try to maybe help herself, you know? I just can't imagine pulling your own hair out while you're being murdered. Oh, goodness. I know. So they speculated that she must have started to run when the shooting started, but unfortunately was trapped by the barbed wire fence that was in the area. Dang it. Opie. Damn it. Imagine, like, you're running away and there's a glimmer of hope that you may get away and then boom. There is no escape. Like, she probably tried to climb that fence. Something happened. Because for her to have a, a handful of her own hair. Yeah. It just paints a story of, like, she's doing all that she can to get away right so david maxwell who was 20 years old was working part-time to make ends meet and had just found out that he and his wife were expecting their first child oh shucks only 20 joey johnson who was 20 as well was a sophomore at kilgore college and was a super bright kid he was a football player basketball player baseball player and he was incredible at all three Mm. and yeah people close to him said he was very passionate about life he loved church and was just a great guy to be around. Mm. Opie Hughes, who was 39, Opie, she was in a loving marriage to Jack Hughes and had a daughter named Myra, who was only 16 at the time of her mother's death, and a little brother named Merle, who was 11. Opie, yeah. you're beautiful. Yeah. Monty Landers, who was 19, had a red Corvette that he loved. Monty's sister said that Monty would not watch scary movies, so his death bothered them even more because he had to live a scary movie. I'm so sorry, Monty. I think it's the worst part for the families. Obviously, it's terrible for the victims, but think about how the families feel. You know everything about these people you know their fears you know the last thing they would ever want to go through and then imagine finding out that that's how their life ended you know oh, like their it biggest rages fear. me 
it pisses me clean off yeah me too makes me want to fight oh yeah oh yeah 37 year old mary tyler was married to billy tyler and she had a daughter named kim we talked about kim and then billy had a daughter named denise who mary loved as you know stepmom Mm -hmm. so rest in peace to the victims they are all white people by the way and that's going to come into play later on in the case rest in peace you guys like this freaking sucks and who will want to sit there and die with their co-workers like ew like i spend all my day with you guys like i'm not trying to end my life with you guys yeah my last moments on the planet but i'm sure they didn't it didn't they could have been dying next to a goat you know they don't want to die and they shouldn't (laughs) have and they should still be here period not a goat but yeah i'm just saying (laughs) you know so Detective Pirtle personally knew Mary Tyler, Joey Johnson, and said that even what he even watched David Maxwell grow up. Mm. So he's firsthand on this and he's taking it hard. Yeah, he's mad. The Kilgore County Police Department made it their mission to find out what the hell happened. So they went to the scene and got a sample of every drop of blood they could to possibly trace the DNA. Mm hmm. They started to look into who was in the restaurant before it closed that night, and there was a woman that stood out. Her name was Star Powers. We love it. We love it. <laughs> it's, it's giving CW the Flash. It's, it's giving. Gi- it's giving a uh, stripper pole name or stripper name. Period. Anyway, it's giving Comic Con. She's sexy. She's fire. She's star. <laughs> it's it's giving cosplay. <laughs> anime yes anyway blue wig we love it (laughs) Uh, so she was sitting near the register when one of the cashier cashier girls made a phone call and she said the girl was talking to her mom and said there was too much money in the drawer and that someone forgot to make a deposit earlier in the day Uh Mm -hmm. so star star pointed that out and she remembered thinking to herself wow you really shouldn't say that so loud and so close to closing time because i was just about to say that why is she talking to her mama on the phone telling all kfc's business well i I don't know i forgot who exactly was having that conversation and also like nobody's about to sit here and just be running their mouth about what's in the drawer so it really could have been something like she's talking business to person who understands the business she's talking about correct so during the autopsy it was found that the five victims were killed with 11 shots that came from two possibly three different guns which suggested that there are at least two killers That makes sense, how they could get five people transported to this location. As they were taking the clothes off of Joey, a fingernail that was not his was found in his waist pant area. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We love a fingernail. We love a piece of evidence. (laughs) Yes. The investigators immediately took on the thought, like, find the man with the fingernail or the missing fingernail and you got your man. So I'm thinking Mm -hmm. this is like a full-blown, not just the tip type of thing. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ouch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we know that investigators be trying to figure out a bunch of things at once. They're trying to figure out what the motive was. They're trying to figure out, you know, who had access to the drawer, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And at this point, they didn't know if the $1,500 was the actual reason for the killing. One theory came from a tip about a $20,000 meth recipe that was stolen from like a meth kingpin named Jimmy Mankins Jr., and he was like actually the son of a Texas representative at the time. And he also 
sold all types of drugs. It's just a lot going on. In this situation, because it's kind of like a small town vibe, everybody knows everybody and they're just trying to put pieces together. And usually people steal money in regards to drugs. This is true. So apparently one of the victims had the recipe and Jimmy Earl Mankins Jr. was going to go get it. Uh huh. According to Motives and Murders, and this is a show on investigation discovery, Jimmy borrowed a 38 caliber gun that same night, which is the type of one of the guns used at the shooting. Okay. And the police are getting kind of like excited. They're like, ooh, 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 you know, dots, they're connecting. Mm. They even considered his wife, Diana, to be a suspect as well. Dang, Diana was like that? I mean, I don't, oh, shit. Are you a writer, Kristen? Are you a writer, Ty? We already talked about this. Know. You already <laughs> yes, know I'm not. This is dumb. I don't want to be in no crime in my dreams. <laughs> Literally. In my Only dreams. in my dreams. Video games, I'm with you. I'm in the car. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Real life, I don't think so. Absolutely not. I got kids. Well, future kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have kids, Jack. So because the only physical evidence that they really have is the fingernail found on Joey Johnson, they decided to take a look at his hands. And what do you know? One of his fingernails had been ripped off to the quick. Or the quick, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner. Or do we? Uh Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So Detective Pertel said that three weeks after the murders, he received a tip about Romeo Pinkerton, Darnell Hartsfield, and a third man named Elton Winston, who was supposed to have been a cousin of theirs as well. And these guys were convicted drug dealers already, but were not known to do business in Kilgore. Okay. So with the Joey, I'm sorry, with the James, the Jimmy, What's his name, Chris? The Jimmy. The Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy. So I'm actually going to put a picture up of Jimmy because I have Yeah, one. show us Jimmy. Let me see. What is Jimmy giving? Jimmy's giving... Yeah, he's been arrested. <laughs> he ain't scared of the law. That's what Jimmy gives. Jimmy is definitely giving a Jimmy <laughs> back in that day. <laughs> I'm looking at Jimmy right now, Chris, and he's looking at me like, bitch, what? Like, that's what it gives. <laughs> Jimmy is cracking me up. Jimmy looks like he could be on the other side of the police force in two seconds. A bad cop. Because like, Jimmy looks like he is undercover right now and they're just <laughs> arresting him to save face. Jimmy looks like a young Captain Stottlemyre. <laughs> Absolutely. Jimmy looks like every police officer in the 70s. Right. That part. With the glasses on. They let him keep his shades on. Okay, Jimmy. I don't know. It's, it's okay. giving. It's giving something, bitch. But mm-hmm. anyway, where are the black folks at? I just, because <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out. Because everybody we're... we've seen so far is Caucasian. We are balls deep into this case, and we have not mentioned <laughs> a black person yet. But we're getting there. We're actually okay. right there. Okay. So 
I mentioned Romeo and Darnell. Those are two black people. They came out of nowhere. Where did this mm-hmm. tip come from? I don't know. I don't remember. And I'm praying we get to it. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Okay. Darnell Hartsfield was one of a handful of children born in Tyler, Texas to John Hartsfield and Ruby Mae Pinkerton Hartsfield. Okay. Sister. So deep in and late. What do you have for us in regards to black history? First of all, Kayla, I thought you forgot about me and I was just going to let it ride. No. Wow. Okay. I'm ready. Hey, guys. (laughs) This is Live 50 Minutes In and we are talking about a black history segment. Well, I have one for you today. His name is Jerry Lawson. Now, not sure if you saw a couple of weeks ago, Google did a little, ooh, click me video game. Well, I clicked it and found out that Jerry Lawson, a black man, created the first removable video game. So yeah, back then we had game consoles. By the way, this is 1976. Mm -hmm. We had game consoles that were already loaded with several games to play. You had your Galactica, your Mario, all in one game, one console. Mm -hmm. Well, Jerry Lawson decided to create a removable video game. So those little chips that you would take out of your little Nintendo and things like that, Jerry Lawson came up with that. Oh, that's dope. He came up with it on like the company he was working for. The console at the name at the time was called Fairchild Channel F, Mm -hmm. but it flopped. But the game-changing idea was picked up by huge gaming companies like Nintendo, Atari, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And to think that Jerry Lawson, a little boy, well, he's a grown man at the time, but he was just (laughs) a little boy growing up in Brooklyn with a mind to create, with parents, mom and dad, telling him to experiment and to live his life. He came up with such a brilliant idea. And I love that. He was from Brooklyn Child. Brooklyn Child. Never graduated from college. Mm-hmm. But creating amazing, phenomenal things that change the way we see gaming today. Oh, forever. That's amazing. Thanks, Jerry. Kristen, I love that. Thank you so much for taking us down that little memory lane trip. Damn, I haven't Great. said it in a while. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> <laughs> also, well, Kayla, when is this case that we're talking about taking place? What time? This was in 1983, I think. Okay, not too far away from Jerry. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, within the next, like, 10, 15 years. So the kids were raised up in church, and they were taught to tell the truth, work hard, and make good choices. Mm-hmm. They probably didn't do any of those things. As a young kid, his family said he really loved the simple things in life, like his mom's pecan pie. Great. He liked family cookouts. His family was, like, super close. And the smell of dinner after a long day of school. Aw, Darnell, what is it giving? Darnell's giving... I know where the cookies are in the cookie jar. <laughs> Darnell's, Darnell's giving squirrel. Squirrels in my pants. Squirrels, squirrels. 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 <laughs> well, either way, I wouldn't trust him. Darnell's giving hoodwinked. No, oh, okay. it's giving over the hedge. Okay. Chris, it's giving Moving over the hedge. On. 100%. Okay. A thousand. So, where the hell were we? Oh, he also started working at a really young age. He said he would have multiple hustles going on. But Mm -hmm. as he got older and he hit puberty and he was learning about his member, Mm -hmm. um, he started rebelling. So, he started staying out later and hanging out with older people, you know, females, which his parents knew would be no damn good for him. Mm -hmm. Around 13, he started going to clubs. 
Bitch, what? 13? How are you getting in? Kristen, are you looking how you look now? (laughs) Yes. Because you know back then, if you were 13, you looked like you were 45. So you could get away with it. So despite his parents' attempts to keep him on the right path, Hartsfield wasn't feeling that shit at all. Hartsfield is Darnell. Mm -hmm. And he decided to drop out of John Tyler High School in the 11th grade and take to the streets full time. Darnell, you're doing a bit much. The money was too fast. Oh, yeah, they be talking about that fast money. He couldn't resist. They say once you go fast, you can never go back. By the age of 22, Darnell was popping. He had a bunch of friends, a bunch of money and girls, and a steady supply of weed. Okay, so he was the man. My kind of guy. Just kidding. Mm -hmm. He was just living his damn life and whatever. Sounds like a lot of people that Kristen has dated. (laughs) Look at her looking at me. Don't put my business out. I love you. Mm Mm-hmm. He said he started robbing so he could afford his weed needs. So he was addicted at weed, to weed at this point. Mm-hmm. I thought he had money, though. What he robbing for? I mean, that's probably how he got money. You know what oh. I'm saying? Okay. A, lot of ni- a lot of people just do that because it's easier to steal than to get it yourself. Oh, my God. That just reminded me, like, we used to sell plasma. <laughs> <laughs> So we could put gas in our tank and go pick up a sack. <laughs> if you haven't sold plasma before to get you a quick $60, bitch, you, you ain't never been through nothing at this point. <laughs> Kayla, I almost passed out one time trying to... <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. The need for the tree. We get it. Uh, never again. Mm-mm. Ain't gonna have me in a chokehold like that. The devil is. So Romeo Pinkerton refused most interviews, and when he did accept them, he wouldn't talk about his family or his life. So it was not much I could find about his background at all. He is a ghost to us. We don't know him at all. (laughs) He says snitches get stitches, and I ain't about to snitch. Right. But there, it's not really a snitch. Well, hey, I get it. I, I think it doesn't give, it gives from... Hartsfield, you know, Darnell, it was like maybe the attention thing or something like that is why he just kept talking mm-hmm. or just, you know, talking to have someone to talk to. But Romeo didn't seem like he needed that. Romeo was not enthused. No. And then we're going to take a look at him and he's really getting. Kayla. Yeah. Older Romeo's- man at this point, but still. Romeo's giving OG. Like Romeo's yeah. giving hear nothing, say nothing, see nothing. Right. I was like, I thought he, I think he's the older one, but I didn't care to check those. Romeo's giving eyes open, mouth shut. Yeah. Romeo's giving play with your mammy, but (laughs) last thing you want to do is play with me. Shoot. I might also need some medication. (laughs) Also not be well. Romeo looks like he may have a screw or two loose. Or eight. (laughs) Um, It's fine. So now this made investigators remember something else star power set. So this is coming from way back before we even started talking about their past. We were talking about how they got that tip. Girl, I wish we had a picture of star. I know. She seems like the centerfold of this case. Right. She was the tell it all girl. She had things to say and what she said meant something. Yeah. I don't know if that's her real name though. But and if it's not her real name, good for her. She didn't need to be like all wrapped up in this, especially if she didn't have anything to do with it. Yes. 
So she said she was in line to order that night and there was a young African-American man standing behind her. Another black man walked in and didn't get in line and just walked out stage left or Mm. stage right since it's opposite. So when they went to look these motherfuckers up, the detectives found out that Romeo Pinkerton's records show that he was still locked up until two days after the murder. Okay, so he couldn't have done it. So he couldn't have done it, right? Mm -hmm. But that will later prove to be wrong. It came out that apparently Romeo and the other two, so Romeo, Darnell, and then their apparent accomplice, were actually transporting prostitutes back and forth from Tyler. So he was already released. It may have been two days before the murders instead of to two days after. Mm-hmm. But Romeo was definitely out, they found out, when the murders happened. Okay, but he yeah. was transporting prostitutes at the time. Correct, with his homeboy Darnell. But they didn't find that out until... Like, later on. So, at first, they're thinking, oh, he's locked up. There's no way he could do it. That means the Darnell guy wasn't there associated with it. So, let's just keep looking at Jimmy Mankins. Okay. And because they didn't really have too much to go on when it came to Jimmy, as far as, like, evidence and whatever, he had to walk free. And Hmm. he lived his life for years until they had enough evidence. Jimmy looks like the dude that's like, you can't touch me. (laughs) He he looks like he's not phased at all. Come on, I'll have these cuffs off in two days tops. Like, I know a guy. I'm not worried. I'll be sipping mojitos in my flip-flops in, 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 in 30 seconds. You just watch. Mm-hmm. He definitely felt like he was going to be back to drinking, like, his Coronas or Bud Light, you know, and putting dip in his mouth and spitting. He was, he was going back to his life, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, this is worth pointing out, right after these murders happened, there was another string of murders with at least a dozen victims in the East Texas area that all appeared to be drug-related. And they had no idea who was committing them, which I may actually speak on in further episodes. (laughs) Yeah. So this whole time, everyone is basically, in Texas, knows that Mankins Jr. did this, or at least they feel like he did. Mm-hmm. And they were convinced it was his fingernail and all that. Because remember, the fingernail that was in Joey's waistband and um, homeboy Megan's had a fingernail missing when he was arrested. Right. And at this time, whether Jimmy did it or not, he wasn't helping his case because he was running his suckers. He literally was telling everybody in town like, oh, yeah, don't fuck with me. And if you do, you're going to end up like those five in Kilgore. Like Jimmy. You're not cute. <laughs> I mean, still, it's like, e- even if it's, I think he found an opportunity to pop that shit because you think about it. He's like, I didn't do it. So there's no reason for me to even worry that they're coming for me because I didn't do it. Like I can, I know I can prove that I didn't do it. So I'm just going to take the fame while I can until I'm proven innocent. Yeah. Cause I don't even think he planned on proving his innocence. I just think it was like, they'll figure it out because I didn't do it. Tuh. And he was just using the clout, you know, to... And intimidate other people must be nice because on this side of town you don't have to do it to still be locked up for something oh yeah let you say one word even insinuating you have something to do with it you're gonna lock you up bitch for them 60 days they need to actually (laughs) press charges out (laughs) and the 60 days by the way is different in different areas please don't quote yes please don't take what i say for bible y'all So Opie's husband even spoke out and said he had Mankins in his crosshairs, like ready to take his life before. And he didn't because, quote, his maker talked him out of it. His maker. Yeah. The creator. Mm -hmm. 
I feel I feel for Opie's husband. I feel for all of these family members because you have to, even if they don't know what happened, the one person that is suggesting they know is like bragging that they did it, but claiming that they didn't do it when it comes down to it. Oh, come on. They're just in a terrible situation. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like for the one time in your life, other than someone in your life getting sick or something, you truly feel like this is not in your control and you can't do crap about it unless you do something about it and then you end up in jail. So it's like, it's really hard to just sit back and hear somebody talk mess and gloat about someone you love being dead. Absolutely. Almost, it's next to impossible to sit through that. So 10 years later in 1993, with a new district attorney and a new forensic technique called striation testing, basically saying that, I know, right? Basically saying that people's fingernail lines are unique to them. The fingernail striation experts finding came back with a positive match with Jimmy Mankins Jr. Ooh, Jimmy, why was you popping your stuff when you knew they had your fingernail? I don't know. But the thing is, is like, we'll get to it. Because even me hearing this, I'm like, fingernail striation. That's a bit of a leap, especially when we're talking about facing probably the death penalty for killing five people. Like, I don't think that was something they should have hung their case on type of thing. Right. It's <laughs> I hung our case on a fingernail. You know, on a fingernail and a very new technique of analyzing a fingernail. And this is what we got. This mm-hmm. is all that we have. I would have been looking like, oh, y'all need to come up with something better. I would be laughing. <laughs> so in 1995, Jimmy is waiting in jail to be tried for armed robbery and five counts of first degree murder. Jimmy locked up. That's what he get for running his mouth. <laughs> if you didn't do it, you should have shut up. But he wanted to out. Shut up and put up and, and hold up. But you didn't do that. No. The prosecutors worked really hard to make the case bulletproof. They had the fingernail person to testify saying that it was definitely Jimmy's fingernail, but it wasn't enough. They had to try something else. And they went and decided to do a mitochondrial DNA test on the nail. And this was not being done back then, you know, often. So it took months. And finally, they received the call that the fingernail indeed did not match Jimmy Jr. Oops. Jimmy Jr. from Bob's Burgers. So they gotta so, let Jimmy out. They gotta let Jimmy out. So six months after being indicted for some shit that literally would have, I mean, he would have had no chance of getting out of that. Jimmy was released. Imagine how Jimmy felt. I like know. I hope he felt terrible. I hope he felt like an idiot for all that <laughs> popping of the shit he was doing. Like that's the definition of, okay, you tried it once. Now you're locked up crapping bricks and now you're out you better shut up shut your mouth yeah he then spoke exclusively with cbs 19 saying quote 100 i'm innocent and i resent even the question the worst part was the six months in jail over there thinking about being put to death for something i didn't do and more than likely if it wasn't for the dna i would have been on death row period and for your mouth, sir. Don't forget your mouth. Right. Because he was <laughs> popping it. Accountability here. <laughs> Mankins was later arrested for an unrelated crime. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he's still a criminal yeah, at the end of the day. Shit, but he just didn't kill these five people. Mm-hmm. So at this point, the investigation was stuck as hell. And another 10 years would go by before anyone would know more about the case. So it's 2003 at this point. Mm-hmm. 
They decided to go back to square one, look at all the evidence they recovered and see what they can do with it now. So DNA specialist Lorna Beasley worked with Linda Tanner, an attorney from Austin, Texas, with experience in cold cases. Okay, let's get it done. Ms. Tanner and her team from Austin worked with Russ County DA Michael Jimerson, who would co-chair the prosecution, and began holding special investigative grand juries. During subsequent grand jury hearings, investigators used ways to subtly obtain DNA from potential suspects and witnesses. Mm -hmm. So they're using deceit in a good way. I support this (laughs) right now. Those who came in to testify were offered items such as like gum or drinks, which were collected and tested for DNA evidence that after they, you know, threw it away. Mm -hmm. And even envelopes sent through the mail were tested. Wow, they were really plotting. They were really trying to get down to the nitty gritty because at this point it's 20 years past and the killers are living their lives. Living their best lives, thinking they got away with everything. And these are five people that were taken away, various ages, young, old, whatever. It's the city will never forget it. Five families who've been suffering for 20 plus years. Exactly. Miss Tanner recalled one of the more humorous DNA acquisitions. She said, quote, he told us he wasn't going to give us his blanket blank (laughs) DNA. So I guess he was cussing. (laughs) And then he was so adamant about it. He wrote us a letter saying, I'm not giving you my DNA and you can't make me give you my DNA. And then Whole of course time he you licked- sealed the envelope, oh, you dunce. <laughs> she then said, and then of course he licked the envelope and sent it to us. So <laughs> they got it anyway. I would have been like, thank you. Right. <laughs> After swabbing a white box used to hold cash register tapes and a napkin found behind the counter at KFC, they finally found something. What did oh, they find? Oh. And that is going to be the end of part one for this episode. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So juicy. So good. Can't wait for the next part. I know. I hope I'm cutting it off at a place where you guys don't feel like I'm suffocating you. But the way that we're recording this, I may just put the next part out the same day. So of course you will. Yes. Thank you guys so much. We love you for listening to this week's episode and get your tour tickets. Period. Because yeah, they're not going to be available forever. We love you. And before we go, be safe, protect your peace and protect your space. So we don't have to cover your case. Bye. Period. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can stream all of our episodes on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and even Facebook. It's the best way to help the show grow, and it's completely free. For bonus content, you can find us on Patreon. And for more information about the show, you can visit BlackTrueCrime.com. See you next time.